Sovereign God, we praise you for your goodness. You are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, glorious in holiness, full of love and compassion. All your works praise you in all places of your creation. Your glory is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Savior, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. Awaken us now to your word this morning by your blessed spirit. We ask this through Jesus' name. Hannah's song from 1 Samuel chapter 2 calls us to worship this morning. We read responsively. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Speak not proudly, let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him.
eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown. I worship you this morning. Eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown. Your boundless love, unfailing, your grace and mercy showing. Bright seraphim in ceaseless flight. of our salvation. In you alone we trust this morning. Inspiration. 
Hear the words of prophet Isaiah as we come before the Lord in confession. In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. We join together praying Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark inquiries, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. Let us all take a moment for personal silent confession. Amen. Hear the good news, who is in a position to condemn, only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. And anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. The new life has begun. Know that we are forgiven and be at peace. Thanks be Thank to, to God. God. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite up Will Clark who's going to share with us a faith in action about his time in our confirmation class, Will. 
My family and I have been coming to this church for my whole life and long before that, and I'm very happy to finally be confirmed and be a member of the church. Throughout my life, at times, I've had a tendency to hold grudges, whether it be with my dad or one of my friends over a, a silly argument. And the forgiveness of sins lesson uh, during the confirmation class taught me that in order to follow in the footsteps of Christ, I have to learn forgiveness, um, let go of my grudges, and live with grace. I look forward to many, many more years uh, being an active member of the church and growing in my relationship with God. Thank you. Good job, Will. For the last six weeks, these confirmation students have been working through the Apostles' Creed. We've talked about the birth of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We talked about the Trinity, Scripture, prayer, and our need for fellowship. And as Will mentioned, we also talked about the need for forgiveness in our own lives and in forgiving others. And these students have done a wonderful job of learning and growing, asking good questions, making their way all the way to today. On Tuesday night, they met with our session, and our session got to know them, and they answered those membership questions with our, uh, with our session. But they'll also be answering those questions today before you as they affirm their faith in Jesus Christ. So I'd like to introduce to you to our confirmation class. I'll ask them each up by name so you can see who they are and put a face to the name. So remember this from how we did this on Wednesday night. You ready? All right. <laughs> Lucinda Ann Becker, Casey James Boehm, Matthew Benjamin Chung, William Wallace Clark, Lance Anthony Detweiler, Drake Thomason Fay, Kehlani Elise G, Catherine Marie Gillis, Grace Elizabeth Gillis, Grace Patricia Justo, Lucky Star Hauer, Caden Stafford Ayer, Nicholas Charles Lucas, Josh Frederick Myswinkle, Corinne Marie Onadera, Eden Maria Fanner, Annika Michelle Pitts, Grace Helen Schweitzer, Emily Marie Thomas, Shelby Nina Thomas, Trevor Jeffrey Tyler. Let's give it up for our confirmation class of 2016. I would like to invite up our senior pastor, Jerry Tankersley, as he's going to ask them the membership questions. And Jerry, I want to compliment you on your outfit today. <laughs> We check in with each other each Sunday morning to see what color we're going to wear. <laughs> okay, guys, um, we're really proud of you. We welcome you into the membership, Laguna Presbyterian Church. Membership is for ministry. We are welcoming you into a life of sharing with us the work of building the kingdom of God and love for Jesus into the hearts and lives of people of all ages. Proud of you, proud of Steve and Abby. You're going to hear Abby sing a little later this morning and know what a beautiful voice she has. But all of you who work in youth ministry, uh, this is the fruit of much investment, time, and labor on the, on the part of 
many, all of us really, in this congregation, we are grateful to God for you. So this is a family event this morning. The questions that you answered before the session are these. I ask you to reaffirm them this morning. Do you confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? And will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way? And will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we do lift our hearts to you this morning, grateful for the gift of children in our lives. These young ones represent the covenant community of our families and of this church. You have reached out through moms and dads and brothers and sisters and the fellowship of this church and our staff and all the programs that we do and mission outreach. You have reached out through it all to claim the lives of these young people, disciples who have made a decision to follow you. And so we join with saints of all generations in praise and thanksgiving for these students, these children adopted into the family of Christ who belong to you in life and death with the assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of God revealed in Christ. We ask that you'll bless them as they are on this journey, fill their lives with joy, empower them when it's difficult, strengthen them and lead them into your call upon their lives for your glory, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Peace to you and to you guys. We love you. We have Casey, Caden, Grace, and Trevor who are here to be baptized into the covenant community of faith this morning. And hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and sure of his presence with us, we baptize those whom he has called to be his own. In Jesus Christ, God has promised to forgive us of our sins and has joined us together in the family of faith, which is his church. He has delivered us from darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In Jesus Christ, God has promised to be our father, and to welcome us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Know that the promises of God are for you. By baptism, God puts his sign on you to show that you belong to him, and he gives you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that sharing Christ's reconciling work, you will also share in his victory. The dying with Christ to sin, you will also be raised with him to new life. In presenting yourself for baptism, you announce your faith in Jesus Christ and show that you want to study him, know him, love him, and serve him as his chosen disciple. You've shown your purpose by answering the membership questions, which are also the vows for baptism. And so we now turn to the congregation for their question. Our Lord Jesus Christ ordered us to teach those who are baptized. 
do you, the people of Laguna Presbyterian Church, promise to tell these disciples the good news of the gospel, to help them know all that Christ commands, and by your fellowship, to strengthen their family ties with the household of God? If you do, please say, we do. We do. Amen. Casey James Boehm. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Caden Stafford Eyre. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace. Grace Helen Schweitzer. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Trevor. Trevor Jeffrey Tyler. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Come on in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these four students. These four children of God who have come before you today to be baptized, to have the sign and seal of your spirit upon them, that dying and being raised in Jesus Christ, they will know your love and your grace forever. We thank you for their, obe your, their obedience to your word. We pray your love be upon them, your grace to fill them, that each and every day they will trust and depend upon you. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. See what love the Father has for us, that we should become children of God. And so we are. Amen.
A reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each, uh, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. So it's now time for our scripture reading, our Old Testament scripture reading, as we continue our study through the book of Daniel. And I'll be reading from Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 through 18. This is, Dan, or I'm sorry, uh, this is Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, if you remember, from, uh, from chapter 2. So chapter 4, starting with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that live throughout the earth, may you have abundant prosperity. The signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me, I am pleased to recount. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his sovereignty is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living at ease in my home and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that frightened me. My fantasies in bed and the visions of my head terrified me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me in order that they might tell me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not tell me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God and who was endowed with the spirit of the holy gods, I told him the dream. O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that you are endowed with a spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Hear the dream that I saw. Tell me its interpretation. Upon my bed, this is what I saw. There was a tree at the center of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew great and strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it. The birds of the air nested in its branches, and from it all living beings were fed. I continued looking in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and there was a holy watcher coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Cut down the tree and chop off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from beneath it and the birds from its branches. But leave its stump and its roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let him be bathed with the dew of heaven, and let his lot be with the animals of the field in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a human, and let the mind of an animal be given to him, and let seven times pass over him. 
The sentence is rendered by decree of the watchers. The decision is given by order of the holy ones. In order that all who live may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals. He gives it to whom he will, and he sets over it the lowliest of human beings. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. Now you, Belshazzar, declare the interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are unable to tell me the interpretation. You are able, however, for you are endowed with a spirit of the holy gods. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is our prayer this morning that your spirit would open our hearts and minds, removing the ego and the pride that shield us from hearing your word clearly. Pray that your spirit would point us to Jesus Christ this morning to further depend, to deepen in our faith in him. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are certain classes that we have taken in school that will stick with us for a lifetime. One of those classes for me was at Fuller Theological Seminary, and it was taught by Dr. Robert Clinton. The name of the class was Lifelong Leadership Development. Robert had spent countless hours studying characters from both the Old and New Testament, from the Reformation, the Second and the First Great Awakening of America, all the way here to modern time. Robert came up with a very intricate formula of what makes for a Christian, especially those who are in leadership, to grow in maturity from one stage in life to the next. If Robert were up here teaching this morning, he would say that each one of us is working through a specific stage in life. We could just be starting out in stage one, all the way over to the tail end of stage six, and everything in between. Now, he makes this case. In each stage, before we can move on to the next There are many events, and he called them process items, a person must go through before they are ready and able to go from one stage in life to the next stage in life. We had to read over 6,000 pages for this doctoral class. Yeah, that's a lot of reading. (laughs) We read papers on Abraham and Moses, and Samuel, and Elijah, and there was Peter, John, and Paul, and on and on it went all the way through to pastors and leaders and common Christians of modern time. Each paper that we read revealed the character's issues, the pitfalls and challenges, their trust in God, and ultimately the maturity that they came to that enabled them to move from that one stage to the next stage. Now, six months after the end of this class, we had to turn in, you ready for this? A 150-page paper. You can't do that overnight, folks. We had to plot out our timeline, our own lifeline. 
We had to fill in each stage with every process item documented and explained from our own faith journey. Now, one of those process items, I'm only going to talk about one this morning, but one of those process items that came to my mind as I read this passage over and over again, thinking about the character of Nebuchadnezzar, and the process item was this. It's called a life crisis item. This is how Robert defines it. A life crisis item is a time of crisis characterized by intense pressure in which the meaning and purpose of life are searched out and the Christian has experienced God in a new way as the source of life, the sustainer of life, and the focus of life. Now think about it for a moment. Rarely have we heard from a fellow Christian. Rarely would we say from our own lives, as we look back on it, that we would say that we experience God in a new way as the source, the sustainer, and the focus of life. Rarely would we say that happened when we were living at top of the world, when everything was just bliss for us and we felt prosperity at ease. In fact, as I was driving here to church this morning, I thought, rarely have I heard a Christian testimony of how someone came to faith where it started out, well, I was living really well. Everything was going great and spectacular in my life. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that most of the time, significant growth and maturity happens during a time of intense crisis and challenge. Would you say that's true for your own life? I glanced back at my project this week. I didn't read the whole thing. It reminded me of a life crisis item in my own life, right when I had transferred from Pasadena City College to USC. At two months in, I was, at, I was on top of the world. I was spreading my wings. I had gotten away from home. I had pledged a fraternity, made a ton of new friends. I was walking tall. I remember walking by Tommy Trojan going, yeah, I'm looking really good too. <laughs> and I was feeling at ease. And I was doing what a lot of college students unfortunately happen in their lives. I was taking a subconscious break from my relationship with God. And then in early December, something happened. It happened in a one-week span. I dropped out of the fraternity. That's a whole other story. I had a major financial roadblock. I thought I wouldn't have enough money to pay for school. And I was experiencing relationship problems back home with family and friends. And then to add to it, of course, my stats professor took me aside, took me aside after class and said, Mr. Sweet, you are failing this class. And unless you get a perfect score on the next exam, the final exam, you're going to have to retake this class next year, next semester. That's a whole lot of money. And you know what I did on the test? I failed it. I tanked it. I was seriously humbled. And when I came home for Christmas break, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I had to take a serious pause and regroup. And as I look back, I wouldn't trade that week for anything. It drove me in a serious way back to Jesus. It drove me into a deeper relationship with God to depend upon Him and the reality of God daily with him. 
Now, as you think about your own timeline, I bet you could plot out several of those life crisis moments which drove you deeper and more dependent on God. It could have been a financial or a job crisis, a health problem that hit you unexpectedly or a relationship issue. It could have been a fork in the road. Whatever it was, when you were going through it, you thought, why in the world is this happening to me? What is this all about? This doesn't make any sense. But as you look back now, maybe just a little bit, you can see as a result, you experience God in a new way as the source, sustainer, and focus of life. We see this clearly in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. He does something very unique here. He begins the story, this chapter, by alerting us, alerting the reader, that the story he is about to tell us had a life-changing impact upon him. An event which turned his eyes inwardly from himself to outwardly to look to the one true sovereign God. So the reader asks, well, what happened? Well, let's remember a few things. In all of human history, there have only been a few kings as powerful and mighty as Nebuchadnezzar. Go back and read in your history. That king was powerful and mighty. And there have only been a few kingdoms as vast and dominating as Babylon. That kingdom stretched throughout the known earth of the time. And at one point, at this point in the story, it would have been unfathomable that any ruler, any army, any nation could jeopardize the rule and reign of Nebuchadnezzar. It just couldn't happen, he thought. And that is a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be for any king, any politician, any plain old Joe like you and me. Let's also remember, this is a sequel dream. His first dream was in chapter 2, and it was already a warning from God that no earthly kingdom was secure. Maybe that's a lesson for our own time to remember, that no earthly kingdom is secure. Apparently, after that first dream or warning from God, he just brushed it over the side like we can do at times. Just brushed it over the side, and he forgot about it. And then this huge red flag comes up at the beginning of the story. He said this, I was living at ease, and I was prospering in my palace. He was in a place of stability and success. So you may ask, what is wrong with living at ease and prospering? Doesn't that sound great? It just sounds great to me just for a time to live at ease and to be prospering. But the problem for Nebuchadnezzar is pride. Pride has set in. And you may know this, but pride is one of the seven deadly sins and it has taken a deep root in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Pride which convinces a person that all that we have and all that we are, everything that we have accomplished, even a few things that we have accomplished, are a result of my own wisdom and strength. In other words, look at me. I did it myself. I'm really good at what I do. Therefore, I deserve these things. I deserve that blessing. And that's a dangerous condition for anyone. 
So Nebuchadnezzar, in this condition, he goes to bed, and the unanticipated sequel is viewed on the big screen of the theater of his mind. And in this vision, he sees an enormous tree, and it's covering the entire landscape. It's providing protection and nourishment. I wonder who that might be. And then a word from heaven. A watcher, an angel, appears to chop down the tree, notice, to leave it alive, merely as a stump, and to live with the mind of an animal for seven seasons. Tim Keller in one of his sermons says that when pride has gone deep into the soul of a human being and taken over, we act just like animals. And when he wakes up, his first impulse is to surround himself with a number of enchanters and magicians, just as he had done after the first dream. I asked myself a few questions. Why didn't he invite Daniel as he learned from the first dream who could interpret it? Why not? And why does he just surround himself with people? Could this be what he's doing? Surrounding himself with people who will tell him what he wants to hear. That's the tempting thing to do in our own life when we're going through a life crisis. Maybe I'll just surround myself with my yaysayers. It's a very dangerous thing to surround ourselves with people of diverse thought who might be able to think for us outside the box. Just a thought. Well, none of them are able to interpret the dream. And I asked myself this question, maybe none of them wanted to interpret the dream. And then something, and someone moves him within to go back to Daniel, the one who interpreted the first vision, the one who represents the one true God. Thank goodness, our loving God always finds a way to move us. It could be a voice within or without. It could be an event, a lyric from a song, a verse from Scripture. It could have been just looking at God's beautiful creation. It could have been God bringing a Daniel into our lives. Thank God he always has a way to move us and to open our eyes to a powerful truth. If there's only one thing you remember this morning, remember this powerful truth that was brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Our rule and our reign, our kingdoms, everything that we are, all that we have, every establishment, every accomplishment, everything that we have, our family, our homes, our cars, our retirement accounts, every blessing that we have received is a gift from God to be shared and to be enjoyed. A gift from God. Now we know deep down that we're not immune to pride. We might say, as the Tom Petty song goes, I'll be king when dogs have wings. But the truth matter, in a sense, is that we are all kings and queens of our own little worlds. And within all of our kingdoms, we struggle with pride. It may show up in different forms, and we've gotten pretty good at hiding it, but we all have our own ways of pride. It can show up in our strong moments and in our weak moments, moving our eyes away from God to ourselves our own know-how and wisdom. Four summers ago, I was living with the pedal to the metal. I would say that busyness was an understatement. And the second Monday night in September of 2012, a night I will remember for the rest of my life, I came home from a meeting from church. 
I walked upstairs and I literally fell on my bed. I was unable to move and nothing could get me warm. My wife just kept putting blanket and blanket upon me. Three days later, I was in the emergency room and I was hooked up to an IV receiving hydration and nourishment, antibiotics and painkillers. And the doctor asked me what had been going on in my life for the last two or three months. And he looked at me and he said, Mr. Sweet, you have pneumonia and you have got to slow down. I knew what drove me there. It was my hidden pride in being busy and needed. And over those next several months, God had me come face to face with the fragility of life. He gave me the needful reminder that everything that I am and all that I have and every breath I take is a gift from God. And he also told me, you better slow down. A theme verse for me during those months was from Hebrews 12 too, that says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I learned that as we look to Jesus, as we look to his cross, we are reminded that everything that we have, all that we are, every breath that we take, is a gift from God. And he keeps us in that precious place of humility and praise. Yesterday when I, I did a wedding here, the bride and groom, they were saying their vows to one another and I was leading them through the vows and I got halfway through the vows with the bride and she paused and she started to weep but she also had this huge smile of joy on her face. She couldn't say a word. And as I stopped for a moment, I looked at her, I thought, that's exactly where I want to be with Jesus just in awe before him, in such deep love and joy, knowing that every gift that I have is from him. Amen? Amen. Waters, your sovereign. 
Let us pray. O God, our Father, creator of the world and giver of all good things, we thank you for our home on earth and for the joy of living. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who draws us to yourself, gives us strength to live for you, and writes your word upon our hearts. We praise you for your love for us in Jesus Christ, who came to set things right, who died, rejected on the cross, and rose triumphant from the dead. Because he lives, we live to praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our God forever. We lift these gifts up to you and pray that they will be used for your glory. For the sake of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me remind you to turn your clocks back next Sunday or you'll have an hour to sit here and think about your timeline for a while. Also, we are so blessed to have Abby Garcia as our middle school director, and a beautiful voice you have, Abby. Thank you so much. By the way, she also sang the national anthem at the Laguna Beach Estancia football game, and she did a wonderful job for everybody. That's because Laguna Beach won, right? They did, that's right. <laughs> what else? Oh, please take your bulletin home with you and pray for these students throughout this week. And that would be a blessing to them. So may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you this week. Amen. Okay, follow me, guys. Mm -hmm.